Our reading this morning draws from his discussion of faith. What does it mean, he asks, to have faith? When some people say they have faith, what they often mean is that they support and believe the faith as taught by their religious way, which, if institutionalized, will come fully equipped with books and creeds and dogma and hierarchy, the smells and bells of religion, and all those things that are supposed to make faith easier for them as followers. This is one form of faith, faith as belief, as acceptance of the hard-to-believe, as blind obedience to authority. I know those, and perhaps you do too, who need this kind of faith, and sometimes it does seem appropriate to believe in whatever gets you through the night. But you have sometimes, you've probably heard the expression, he says, it's not good enough just to talk the walk, you've got to walk the walk. Some would suggest that this is analogous to faith. There's faith as talk, that is belief, and there's faith as walk, that is behavior, sometimes historically known as works. This suggests that faith as belief and faith as behavior together comprise faith. Neither can stand alone. But then, Muir adds, there's also a third form of faith. We each have our story. It's composed of everything that is our life experience. When we bring this story, the story of our lives, into the context and perspective of a larger story called a religious tradition, we let that tradition speak to us to see if it fits, if it makes order of our story, if it gives our story roots and wings, stability and ecstasy, explanation and spirit, sense and mystery. And if that tradition, the narrative, affirms us in who we are, in our story, then we choose that religious tradition. It has gained our allegiance, our trust. And so a third form of faith, Fred suggests, faith has trust. You can see, he concludes, that faith is a complex subject with many dimensions and levels. We all have faith and deciphering what it is and how we arrived at it is an exploration well worth the effort. Going back to that song we just sang, let's return now to a more lively tradition of worship. In the story told by colleague Marshall Hawkins of a time when he joined a team of volunteers to rebuild two black churches which had been burned by bigots in Bologi, Alabama. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Any Alabamans here? The teams included Catholics, Quakers, Presbyterians, Methodists. Each morning they would worship together in Quaker silence, he says. But on Sundays they would worship with their Baptist hosts. There the preacher would bellow to us in great tones and sweat and move about in the pulpit, the choir would rock us into states of spiritual delirium, and when it was over, the people would thank us intently for being with them. Now, by contrast, he says, I was raised in a very intellectual New England family. Rationality and reason were our treasured family values. We preferred our church services to be interesting and thought-provoking and, and never too specific about divinity. 
And though spiritually, spirituality has been increasingly important to me, he goes on, I was theologically a stranger in a strange land in Alabama. But I discovered something during those five weeks. Something essential to religion and yet curiously missing from my own experience of it. Faith. Faith, he concludes, is the rock when everything gets shaky. When a loved one dies suddenly or your church is burned down in the middle of the night. It was something so powerful to witness in the people of those congregations, I could almost touch their beliefs. Like there was a presence all around us. There was also a certain dignified humility that allowed for that faith. It It gave space for God. It reflected an acceptance that we are just small parts in the great turnings of the universe. And I think, he concludes, I think it lets magic happen. Now I'll come back to that magic. But first I want to note that what I think overwhelmed Hawkins most amidst the people of those little churches wasn't their beliefs as much as the emotional fervor which grew from their sense of God's presence in their lives and their resulting humility. This breached the walls of Hawkins' accustomed intellectual distance. And I can't help wondering if perhaps all this also touched some unconscious longing for worship which reached the whole person. In my family, he writes, we didn't take bowed down heads and humble hearts to our religious services. And I think we lost something in that resistance. How few were the times we took a knee before the enormity of the universe had acknowledged our smallness. I suppose he might have added if he were a football fan that there'd be one time in watching a game when you might watch someone else taking a knee. So I ask this morning, as I speak to you, what then is faith? And what does God have to do with it? Fred Muir speaks of three possibilities, faith as belief, as action or works, and as trust. For me, the strongest faith brings all three together, and perhaps even more. And it's based on both head and heart. Only then is it strong enough to inspire us in life's good times and sustain us through the dark night. And as for God, it depends on how you envision God. I think the God of our universalist ancestors, the God of love, too loving to send anyone to eternal hell, would be right at home in those Alabama congregations. Now consider the timeless image found in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction, it seems to me, come from the whole person. They reflect a heartfelt trust in a vision and perhaps a God which our eyes can't see. But we sense it deep in our very being as we come to see the world with eyes of faith and trust. 
Now it's true that for many people faith does mean belief and only belief, and right belief at that. Sometimes symbolic and expansive, as in God as love, sometimes quite literally as in a six-day creation. It's the literal form that Mark Twain mocks in saying that faith is believing what any damn fool knows is not true. But for most of us as you use, I think faith is about a form of trust that brings it all together, with or without the language of God. It's a big challenge. To trust, we have to let go of lesser dreams, maybe of security or control, and of many fears. Yet somehow, in a lifetime, we do this. We grow in faith. Faith in what? In that ultimate dream, you could call it, you could call it a meta-dream, I think, which Jews and Christians speak of as the promised land or the kingdom of God. The world as God would have it. Sometimes we think of it as right relationship or shalom. We may no longer connect it with God or even with religion. It has become so embedded in our culture that we may think of it as simple fairness, a world based on the golden rule, perhaps. Now, to be sure, as beginners on the spiritual journey, we often blend into the stream some unrealized assumptions, maybe of privilege or of the superiority of our own religion or race or clan or nation. But as we take our journeys seriously, these assumptions begin to fall away and our dreams begin to grow. That's a big purpose of the church, I think, to stretch our dreams, to stretch us. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of his guiding dream on the night before he died as he spoke to the trash collectors on strike in Memphis, seeking recognition and to be treated as, with dignity and to receive a living wage. I've been to the mountaintop, he declared, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. What do you think he saw when he looked over? Surely a land where all of us are brothers and sisters, all of us entitled to respect and dignity. As children of the same loving God, Archbishop Tutu called it God's dream for us. There's another metaphor that goes well with that image of dreams, I think. It sees faith as like a balloon which lifts us and carries us in the direction of that great dream. Of course, there are degrees of faith, ups and downs on the journey. Some days we just don't feel it. We question our faith. But I want to suggest that doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's a companion to faith. It's those who care most, who doubt most, and most often. As Khalil Gibran recognized in that quote which you see in your order of service, faith and doubt are twins. Even though sometimes, he says, doubt is a pain too lonely, too lonely to know that faith is his twin brother. 
On these days, it, would, it can help us to remember that as the wise ones of the world have long reminded us, we are not called to be successful, we are called to be faithful. Faithful. I love a definition I stumbled across this week. Faith is following the music when we don't hear it. When we don't hear it. Or when discordant tunes are playing all around us. That's what it means to speak of faith as the conviction of things not seen, maybe not even heard. Faith like this can be real, even though on our best days it may be quiet and understated. Our UU faith has always been restrained. It's just who we are. There's class and tradition for you, perhaps. As a country, as our country was swept by the fervor of religious emotion in the great awakenings of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, we drag our feet all the way. Yet no matter, I think we strive to be faithful even under that blanket of self-restraint. We too have hearts, and our heads and hearts together can lead us into action side by side with those whose faith takes a more free-flowing form. It's the showing up that counts the most. Even the soft-spoken William Ellery Channing, seen as the father of the Unitarian side of our UU faith, could speak of conversion. Could speak of conversion. In an ordination sermon in 1824, he declared that the most important part of theological education, even in this enlightened age, is not the communication of knowledge, essential as that is, but the conversion of religious knowledge into living, practical, and soul-kindling conviction. Sounds a little like our covenant that we recited this morning. Set our hearts on fire. To bring understanding, conscience, and heart into earnest, vigorous action. Neither Channing, I think, nor we would betray this conversion, at least very often, by moving about or shouting or singing with abandon. Well, there may be hope for us. (laughs) Yet it's not possible to mingle with the crowds at our annual General Assembly without realizing that with or without speaking of God, with or without excitement, and there is great music at the General Assembly more and more these days, we in our faith tradition are bitten by a dream of equality, the dream of a world based on equality and compassion and justice. It's all we talk about in worship and workshops, in the corridors and on the convention floor. And on our better days, you'd recognize that faith at work all year long in the life of congregations like this. Beacon Press author and teacher Scott Russell Sanders expresses these concepts when he declares that fidelity requires us, fidelity requires us to embrace some vision of ultimate reality, if not one of the prepackaged varieties, then one we compose. To lead a centered life, I believe, one must keep faith not only with a vocation, a mission, a person or a place, but also with a moral ground that sanctions and upholds these loyalties. Faith, as you would suspect, is one of those traditional terms discussed by UU Minister Karen Herring in her book, Writing to Wake the Soul, which 
has inspired our sermon series this summer. Several people have spoken of different themes from that book. She, too, speaks of faith as trust. She offers ancient Buddhist texts which speak of faith as placing the heart upon. Placing the heart upon. She challenges us to ask ourselves, what do you trust most deeply? She also quotes Harvard historian of religion William Cantwell Smith, who sees faith as a verb, as in to belove, to belove. An image, I think, which may help us to understand the poem, which she also quotes by Hafiz, the great Sufi. It's called No More Leaving. For Hafiz, too, faith is about our relationship with God and God's dream for us. As your faith grows, Hafiz assures us, at some point, your relationship with God will become like this. God will climb into your pocket. God will climb into your pocket. You will simply just take yourself along. That brings us back to the magic which Marshall Hawkins experienced among those Alabama folk whose churches had been burned. Faith so deeply embedded in people's lives that it carried them as if caught up in a great dream, carried by winds of faith, as if God had climbed into their pockets. Their faith opened them to recognize and embrace unexpected possibilities. I think that's, I think that's what Hawkins meant by magical. He recalls how two days before the scheduled dedication of the rebuilt Mount Zion church, with guests expected from all over the country, heavy rains <laughs> turned the land around it into a sea of mud. Now, it wasn't quite as much rain as Phyllis spoke of, but it was a lot of rain, a sea of mud. And where would they park? Where would they walk? The truckloads of gravel they needed for parking lots arrived only on Friday and proved far too much for the volunteers to spread by hand. So someone volunteered a front loader, but they couldn't figure out how to use it, so they parked it and kept on shoveling. Until a passerby, a stranger, on his way home from work, noticed the front loader just sitting there and the volunteers shoveling away, and he said, I use a front loader like that all day at work. He climbed in, and in half an hour, there was a parking lot. There were paths. And he walked on home. No one ever knew who he was. It seemed like a miracle. In a second incident, Hawkins describes the principal of the all-black Bology High School had promised his students in June that by September he would somehow turn their dilapidated gymnasium into a gymnasium worthy of their sports. But he had no idea how that was going to happen, and no money. And then in midsummer, there came a call. The local Quaker work camps in the area found they had some 85 more volunteers than they needed, and they began calling around. Could you possibly use any volunteers? A miracle. They came, they painted and fixed up the gymnasium, they painted 30 classrooms, 
The principal said that was more work than their two custodians could have done in five years of work. A skeptic might say, prayer is a waste of time. There is no God. Who's going to do it? But with their eyes opened in trust, the folks of these churches, unlike the man on the roof of his flooded house, could see an answer to their prayers in that passerby who climbed into their front loader or those volunteers who did all the painting and fixing up in their moment of need. If God is love, Hawkins writes, even an intellectual like me couldn't miss God's presence in these events and many more like them. Throughout his five weeks in Bology, he couldn't get one of the hymns they sang out of his head. I know I've been changed. I know I've been changed. It chorus went, I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven done sung my name. And then he said, I realized I couldn't get it out of my head because I had been changed. Something inside me had been opened or softened. I will always be an intellectual critical Unitarian Universalist. My colors have been dyed in the wool for too long. But I am deeply grateful for the gift of the people of these two churches. They showed me the spirit of Christianity. Now even as we in our UU faith tradition open ourselves to other faith traditions, we remain rooted in the spirit of faith and love. It's embedded in our universalist proclamation of God's love, so great that we and all humanity are one. In our desire to share that love with all our neighbors, everywhere we try constantly to deepen and broaden our faith. Until one day, like Hawkins, we realize that I've been changed. I've been changed. Ours is a faith grounded in our dream of a world where justice shall roll down like waters and peace like an ever-flowing stream. Our lives are about becoming one with this dream and stretching it ever bigger. We may not know where it will carry us or where we are going, but we know deep within that we will get there. That, my friends, is what our faith is all about. May it be so for each of us. Amen.